Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Josh Hirsch. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Thanks for joining us again on Impactability, a Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hirsch, and today we're going to be talking about AI and the many uses within your nonprofit organization. It is not the wave of the future, but it is the now. We have such an ability with the pervasive growth of ChatGPT through OpenAI and plenty of other GPTs that are out there that now gives us the power within our hands and really have made it much more equitable to have the power of data analysis and power of content creation, the power of strategic planning and overall making your organization much more powerful than it was yesterday because of these tools available to us. Our guest today is one of the best and brightest in the field. Chirin Koshi is a certified fundraising executive. He's also a chartered advisor in philanthropy and is an AFP master trainer. In other words, he's an overachiever just like me. These are the kind of people I like. He founded a nonprofit OS, which is a generative AI platform designed to help organizations maximize their impact, which was acquired recently by iWave. Before starting nonprofit OS, Chirian has spent more than 25 years working in the nonprofit sector, working with thousands of donors and raising more than $100 million for various organizations and causes. He proudly serves as vice chair of the Professional Development Committee on AFP's Global Board, and he's a sought-after trainer and keynote speaker, and he's a thought leadership has been featured in several publications. And what he didn't include is he's also got to interview Emeril Lagasse at this past year's AFP icon. To any food nerd, that was pretty awesome. I was personally upset when he didn't drop a bam in there at some point. I thought, sure, you could have pulled it out of him, but I guess that we weren't on point that day. Yeah, they were very specific about what we should be talking about, and I wasn't, I, I wasn't going to throw things at him that he wasn't that he didn't want to do. But it was a great conversation, and that was a dream for me because I love Emerald. I've, I've loved Emerald for a long time. It, it's hard not to love the energy that he brings with food, but that energy really transpires over to his philanthropy as well, and that's what's so great is that he's able to harness his passion to giving back and and provide that for others. So just with following your passion. How did you come into this world of, of AI? Because it's, it, I'll say it's new, but really it's been around for a while. Yeah, it has. The term AI has been around since the 1950s. And the thing that I talk about a lot, which you've heard quite a bit in the different uh, conferences that we've been to, is that the even just the use of AI is very much not new. We've had Gary Kasparov, who lost to a computer back in the 90s. My personal hero, Ken Jennings, lost to IBM Watson on Jeopardy. Even though Jeopardy got or, uh, Watson got the, the answer wrong in final Jeopardy, it's something that's been part of our experience for quite a while. But for me, I was working at a nonprofit during the pandemic. We had a reduction in force. We we're trying to stay connected with donors and continue to do the work that we were doing that we knew that we needed to do. We just had fewer people and fewer resources to be able to do that. And I 
I joked that I had seen everything on Netflix and I had too many open bottles of wine. And I was like, this is not a good use of my time. And I do something different and started watching YouTube videos and learning more about what was coming out of OpenAI with their new, at the time, their new GPT and thought, I wonder if this could actually solve my problem in my organization because I had people saying, hey, we need to keep communicating with our donors. We knew that was the right thing to do, but it was a lot to do and we couldn't pay outside counsel to help us. We didn't have enough people to do it. OpenAI really started help. And then I shared it with a few people and they said, hey, you should make this available. And a couple hundred customers, nonprofit organizations later, it really became a thing. That was really cool. And iWave took a look at it and said, this fits really nicely with the work that we're doing. And I had been an iWave customer at the time. So I really knew how it could marry well together. And it was just really a perfect fit. What I love about people like you are you're passionate and you're a visionary. What you said is that you wanted to identify solutions to problems that people had utilizing AI. And, and that's what I tell them is that imagine anything that's possible and then reverse engineer it using AI. Yeah. That's the point we're at right now. We don't need to know code. We can have these right. natural language conversations with these tools, specifically ChatGPT's new custom GPT trainer, where anything is possible. Do you see this being, to me, I don't think it's going to eliminate jobs. I think what it's yeah. going to do is provide the opportunity for those that are adopting and adapting to this world to go further into careers. What, what are your thoughts on this new frontier? I, yeah. So I did a keynote a couple of weeks back and I said, if you think that AI will take your job, you're wrong and you're right. And what I mean by that is if you allow AI to take your job, to do your job soup to nuts, it will do it and it will do it badly. So you could have AI do all the things when it comes, and let's be myopic about this because I, I think a lot of the conversations in this space are pretty myopic around like writing a fundraising appeal. You could have AI write the fundraising appeal and ship it automatically and write the thank you note and ship it automatically. And it will do a bad job, honestly. Like I've built an AI tool to do these things. And I would say AI doing it on its own would do a bad job doing that. And it will upset donors. It will result in fewer dollars raised and all the things. But if you look at some of the kind of pain points that we have as fundraisers and how can AI come alongside us as this sidekick that does the work that nobody really wants to do? Who wants to who wants to write that first draft? Who wants to ship out a, a request to get data analyzed? Who wants to pour through lines and lines of code? No, no one loves doing that. And if you do, great. There's another tool that solves a problem for you. So I don't think that it will meaningfully result in job loss, meaning the sector will result in fewer FTEs. I think it will change how we work. I think it will change what our roles are. And my hope is, my dream is that it results in even better relationships with donors because the person-to-person -person aspect is amplified because we're not wasting time doing the stuff that we hate doing. That's you, you nailed it on the head. So from an efficiency and effectiveness standpoint, we are now taking that time that would write the 25 letters of acknowledgement and yeah. pressing that down to not only are we writing it faster and better, but we're writing more personalized. So while you right. said you're never going to ship it out directly, it is that first iteration that we're then bringing into Google Docs or Microsoft Word, and we're putting it in our own language, making sure it's finalized. 
to then focus on stewardship, retention, and ongoing relations with these donors. That is what, to me, at its core, AI is allowing us to do. It's taking away that quote-unquote busy work and giving us the chance to create true donor journeys that it comes down to clean data. If we know that we have donor A, and let me preface this by saying we never want to put personalized donor information into a GPT. You should have a, ideally have an AI usage policy. We'll include some links in the show notes of where you can create your own uh, AI usage policy. Because you have a gift acceptance policy, you have a social media usage policy, you need to have one on AI to have those guardrails within which to live. So by having this, you're able to create a custom experience based upon that data for your constituents. It's, it's amazing to me. And I think we're only really limited by what we think is possible. And right now, yeah. truly anything is possible. I, I think the, the low entry is like, okay, create some social media content for me. And as you said, just ship it out. That's, I think, low bar. What would you say are like the steps to getting us to more further higher uses of AI? And if someone who's a non-techie that is just stepping into this world of AI. Yeah. So I want to start by saying, I, I don't think there's anyone listening who has a sense of what needs to be done in their nonprofit, whether it's fundraising or something else. And again, I think we think very myopically about the the space that AI occupies. So I want to make this as broad as possible to our sector, because I do think the relevance is there. I don't think anybody looks at their organization and says, I know what to do. And I'm just not going to do it. I think it's, we look at all of the work that needs to be done. And so many people are overwhelmed, overburdened, burnt out, and they, they have a to-do list that is way too long. You know what to do. You need you know what you need to do in order to, to get that out the door and done. It's just too much for any person or group of people to do. And it doesn't matter how big your staff is or how small your staff is. Every organization faces this. So where I would start is really around a values exercise in your organization. So I love that you started with an AI policy. I think that should be informed by the values of your organization. What are the things that are most important to us? How do we how do we prioritize donor relationships and authenticity and integrity and donor privacy? All of those pieces that are essential to really any organization. But as a as an organization, I think the tech stack is less important than the trust stack. So we need to talk inside our organizations right away around what does this mean for your job? Because everybody's scared about losing their job to a robot, and they have been for decades, right, in different ways. So we need to start there and say, this is not about getting rid of your job. It's not about downsizing you in the long term. It's about allowing you to live your best self and allowing you to use your lived and learned experience more authentically on the job. So for each individual on your team, thinking about what are the things that they love doing? What are the things that got them into this profession in the first place? What are the things that bring them joy when they wake up in the morning and working with inside your organization? Let's make sure that those things are first and foremost. So maybe they love copywriting. Let's find them a, an AI tool that helps them with data anal, uh, analysis or something like that. Maybe they hate looking at spreadsheets and writing TPS reports in your organization. Let's find them something else that they can do or that something else that AI can do that really draws them out, right? And so once we have that, those values aligned, that trust at the core, our policies in place, then let's start exploring some tools. 
right? There are lots and lots of tools. You've mentioned several out there as well. Every organization is starting to build out different tools and use cases that make sense to them. I would say it starts with your system of record. And what is that, as you mentioned, that clean data? So how can we make sure that the data that we're that we have is clean and structured correctly? AI can actually help with that. It can help clean and structure the data. So that may be a place where you start in, in getting that information correctly in the, in the right places so that you can use it. The second phase of that then is what are the pieces that that help you make decisions? So your system of decision making. And that could be about prioritizing different segments of your group or different fundraising strategies or business models for your organization. What is that system of decision-making that you're using? And there are lots of tools there that come into play. And then ultimately your system of outreach. So we're, we have a lot of conversations, as you mentioned, around posting on social media or writing a fundraising appeal, which is way up there. But I think it starts from this underlying set of understandings and where AI can play a part at that system of record, that system of decision-making to ultimately inform the the system of outreach and the messaging that we would do. All of this combined, like any piece of this is smart, but I think a combined structure is the smartest, right? And if we can get to a point as a sector, now where these tools are ubiquitous, they're easily accessible, they're inexpensive, you can build them yourself in some cases, that's really what's exciting and empowering for the sector is the ability to say, hey, I can beg, borrow, and steal from what other people are doing. I can build on my own what I need inside my organization, and we can create an overall system that is right for our organization. So what you just touched on is where we're going next. I, I think that this ability to build things for ourselves, create our own solutions, is going to open up the door so much more from an analysis side, which is really, to me, like the nerdy stuff, because content strategy is great, but if you have it, you're just throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks, what's the point? We really want to use yeah. the data to help drive us to get there. And now it's as simple as seeing there, literally copying rows and cells from Excel, putting it into a tool like GPT and saying, I want you to identify trends amongst this data. Help me identify potential major donors. We are so at the cost and... To me, it's fascinating because week to week, we have seen such progress and development and things are changing so fast. 12 months from now, when we come back and we have another conversation on this topic, yeah. it's going to be light years ahead. I don't, ever yeah, I don't ever believe that we're going to be at that Skynet level. I don't think we're going to have AI that is truly sentient, but it's at the point where it's learning from itself and it comes down to prompt engineering. So we know that the old saying, giggle, garbage in, garbage out. What's important is that AI is natural language processing. So it's picking up on those contextual factors of those conversations you're having with the platform. And I say conversations because you are talking to it. You're not just saying, create a letter of appeal for my no-kill animal pet shelter in Houston, Texas. You want to give it form. You want to give it structure. So that being the case, how of someone having never touched these tools before, like, where do I begin? You know what? We, we know that we can create that letter appeal. We know that we could sit there and create a six month fundraising strategy. Like, how do I begin as someone who's never touched these tools before, but knows that everyone's talking about it and I don't want to get left behind? Yeah. I think really the, the way that I frame it is around like an AI petting zoo. I think you want to just go explore, right? Go check out the different animals that are out there and see. You, you don't have to make a lot of commitments. Everybody knows Chat GPT is free. 
Bard is easily accessible inside of your Google suite. Microsoft has integrations already with OpenAI components and whatnot. There are ways in which you can play around with some of these tools, which are like free, low cost, whatever opportunities to, to really think about what are the things that your organization needs. I wouldn't necessarily go the route of building on your own until you've gotten a sense of what are the things that you need. And then, as you mentioned, reverse engineering those things, especially when it comes to things like data analysis. There are some really good tools out there that I would just I, I would lean into to some of those tools and think about what can I leverage? I I think the biggest thing that I would worry about is when you're talking about technology adoption, whether it's a CRM or uh, a wealth intelligence tool or something else like that, everybody freaks out about, do are we getting left behind? Are we, do we have to learn a whole new system? And I wouldn't want you to feel overwhelmed as a nonprofit around all of these different pieces because you've got to learn 15 new things. I think looking for ways in which there's native integrations between the things that you need and the places where you opportunity inside of your organization. Don't just pick the shiny new object because you're like, ooh, that that looks cool. And some untoward marketers like, you'll raise lots of money because of our tool. It, honestly, come on. That's we all know that's not true, right? We it'd be great if it did raise you more money just based on the tool itself. But it, it really depends on how you use the tool who you have inside your organization that can leverage those insights and, and optimize for the specific circumstances of your organization. So I go back to test out a bunch of different tools, see what helps you, and then start doing a little bit of evaluation around what are the things inside your organization that would be most helpful versus the things that are like, oh, that could be later on. We don't really need that today. You touched on some great points there, Chirin. But right now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to pick up this conversation and see how you yourself can start using AI today. Be right back. Sometimes you wish there were more hours in the day. With everything on your plate, it's hard to determine which project gets done today and which gets put off until whenever you get to it. There's an easier way. Sucrup Strategic Solutions has been serving nonprofits like yours for more than 10 years, and in that time, we've handled all kinds of projects, especially the ones you can't seem to get to. Fundraising, marketing, grant writing, communications, and more. With Sucrup Strategic Solutions, you'll have a team of marketers working for you, solving marketing issues sooner, grant writers that have written hundreds of grants, and communications experts who can help get your message to your constituents easily. You'll have more hands on deck reduce overhead, and increase efficiency. For a free consultation on how we can help lighten the load at your nonprofit, visit our website at sucrupstrategicsolutions.com. That's S-O-U-K-U-P strategicsolutions.com. Maximize your impact with Sucrup Strategic Solutions. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hirsch, and we're speaking with Chirian Koshi about the use of AI within your organization's overall strategy to become more impactful in your community. Coming up in a few minutes, another edition of Coach's Corner. This week, our expert coach will be speaking about what are the best approaches to building a sustainable volunteer program for your organization. But right now, we're back with our conversation with Chirian. And Chirian, you touched on a, a really cool point there that I liked uh, before we took break about the use of vendors and what is that integration that we need? 
But we've started to see it in the realm of wealth screening, how they've been using AI. Where is this going to go? Are we going to see this natively within CRMs where it's yep. going to it's going to be the ability to search our data just from a natural language uh, conversation? Absolutely. That's the exciting part that I think will be, uh, I want to say wave of the future, but I think we're super, super close to that in a lot of ways. And it really, again, it will depend on what you need as an organization, but uh, the ability to run reports out of your CRM will be super easy in the future, right? The ability to just say, I want a, a report of all monthly donors who came in through social media and have given at least $500 to our organization over the course of the last two years, right? You just type that in and it will produce that report for you. There are tools like that currently that are out there, but don't integrate natively into the CRM or within that hierarchy of, of I mentioned like your CRM, your wealth intelligence areas, and your your system of outreach. The ability to pull that information from your data, combine that with information that's appended by second and third-party data, and then be able to produce content that's unique to that segment or even to that specific individual or foundation, corporate grant, whatever, all of that is going to be not years away. I really think it's going to be months away before something like that is you know, I, I think you're right. When you're saying months away, it's hard to believe a time before AI because really we've been using it since Microsoft Clippy. People don't forget our friend Clippy. But now it's at the point where we have such natural integration with the tools that we're using on a daily basis and having that be natively within our CRM. And it comes down to that natural language ability because if you're sitting there creating the report query and you use an and instead of an or, you're not going to yep. get the data you want. And I think that's right. like, where you sit there banging your head against the wall because the data is there, the records are there, and you're just trying to pull them out. But now by having these conversations, it makes it much more accessible. And I think that's what's key is that we are now in a place where you may be a shop of one, but you're able to compete with the big dogs. That's you now right. have a director of marketing. You now have a director of major gifts. You now have a director of finance, a director of HR. You now have a, you know, a data scientist on staff. Yeah. But it comes down to how are we going to use these tools efficiently and responsibly? There's this great new movement right now, the fundraising AI that has come out about the responsible framework of using AI and the ethical uh, purpose behind it. You want to touch on that for a few minutes uh, and share that with our guests? Yeah, absolutely. So fundraising AI is actually the website. So fundraising.ai is uh, the place to go to learn more about that. There's content there as well. I, I do think it's important that as a sector, we continue to have conversations around the responsible use of AI. I don't, I don't think anybody's an expert in this space. And, and most people would agree that they are not experts, even though AI has been around for a long time. This level of accessibility and usability is really it's really exciting because, as you mentioned, it does level the playing field. It democratizes not only the size and budget of organization, but also organizations that don't necessarily have the same routes to funding. So think, for example, an organization where they're non-native English speakers and they're raising money from English-speaking organizations. This is a real game changer for that. And I think funders ought to lead into this because it enables those organizations to not necessarily need a proofreader or not necessarily need some of the rewrite funding applications because they can produce this content super easily. Good portion of nonprofit OS customers are, are non-native English speaking organizations, which is really exciting to see 
I think that the exciting piece has to be tempered with the fact that there are true dangers out there. And I was on a panel a couple of months ago at a conference where somebody talked said like I was being Debbie Downer. And I think we ought to be heads up about the fact that this allows malicious actors to represent real charities super easily. So I can build a website, I can build a bunch of social content, I can make it look like I have a real appeal and, and whatnot. And and I think that we have to be, you know, we're not going to cover for malicious actors. That's got to be legislation and regulation that addresses that. But I think that's worrisome because someone can manipulate the Red Cross website to try to raise money for Maui and isn't actually the Red Cross. And that could uh, be a problem for us all because if people lose trust in the sector, that's an issue. So responsible AI is important from being heads up about that. Inside of our sector, I want to believe that everybody is smart, good, and capable around thinking about these things, but we have to be super vigilant about taking the shortcut. The example that I give, I gave a demo of of nonprofit OS uh, yesterday to a, a group of people, and it produced this really lovely monthly giving letter. And what it's designed to do is follow nonprofit best practices. It has an example of someone who's benefited from the program that this nonprofit offered. And I was very clear, and I, I want to beat this drum over and over again. You have to go talk to people who are impacted by your organization. You can't use AI to represent your program participants, your beneficiaries, your donors with made up stories. That's not okay. That's not ethical. You absolutely have to go talk to those people and represent them appropriately, whether in words or in images, whatever the case of a video, like there's lots of applications here in AI that we have to unpack and think through, but there's, there isn't an easy button, right? There isn't a, I'm going to hit this button and everything's going to be done for me and I never have to look at it. And I, I, I want us all to be mindful of the fact that where people need to be involved is at really every step of the process and making sure the training data is correct, the outputs are correct before we're hitting send on any of those pieces or using them. We're really thoughtful. We've been using, organizations have been using AI and machine learning for segmentation, for identifying prospective donors for a really long time. And that's where I think we've got to be really mindful around what what does this mean from an inclusivity perspective? Because if we're looking at past wealth, for example, and only past wealth, that gives us a very specific profile of who can be a donor in our organizations moving forward. And Pint, that's probably not the right answer. So we have to be really mindful of those things. And I I want to be super careful about what I call philanthropic exclusion. We tend to focus on major gifts a lot in, in, a work, in the nonprofit space. And I want to be careful about how we're identifying who has the propensity to be a major donor. And if it's built upon these wrong models of previous wealth, as I mentioned, that can be really bad. Now, it's not just the nonprofit sector that should be mindful of this. We've had these problems, and I want to be very clear, these problems in the finance sector when it comes to life insurance, when it comes to credit card approvals, when it comes to mortgages, people have been excluded from access to financial tools based upon factors that are completely irrelevant to them. So, you can imagine how philanthropic exclusion could be even worse from that perspective because of how things have happened in our country and several other countries over the past 50 years. These are things that really, honestly, 
you keep me up at night around where we are and, and where we're going. There's a great book called Lead with And by Tim Arnold that I come back to quite a bit. And there are good there are good tensions that we need to be aware of. And it's not an either or dilemma. What Josh, you and I were talking about before it was how a lot of people talking in the AI spot space right now, especially in our sector, are saying it, it's an either or assessment of either we use AI to create fundraising appeals because we're everybody's myopic and so super simplistic about it. Either we use AI or everybody learns to be a great copywriter, like copywriters of of your whatever whatever that means. And it's not that's not where we are, right? Like we can we can enjoy hospitality in a great restaurant and have that experience and also order fast food from a robot. That's okay. We can, we, we don't have to give up ATM machines at banks. We don't have to give up, pay for your gas at the pump. And we just don't, those are examples of where we, we're super okay with robots and we're super okay with automation and technology. We just have to be, hold these things in tension, understand what is the appropriate relationship that we're having with with technology of all forms and the human element in all forms. Period. Every time we talk about this, especially now, it's like my mind goes a million ways. It's fun though. This is where the nerds come out and it's great because nerds rule the world. Let's talk about transparency. And I think this has been a debate that I've had with others. Do you feel that there is a need to put a asterisk on the bottom of an appeal that says a version of this letter was created using AI? Absolutely not. Absolutely unequivocally no. And here's why. You and I could work together on a fundraising appeal and send that out to, if I'm working in a nonprofit, I ask you to help with that. Great. I don't have to disclose Josh Hirsch helped with this fundraising appeal. I could have 15 people help with that fundraising appeal. It could be rewritten by my CEO and I don't have to disclose that and it's not necessary or required ethically to disclose that in any way do you we use consultants all the time to have used consultants like over my 25 years career at fundraising i worked with consultants on fundraising plans on appeals on capital campaigns they don't show up in the materials we don't put that information like do we say hey this this site you're part of a segment that was created by iWave. that's silly that's nonsense no one would ever do that it's not ethically required and if somebody edited your letter, your appeal, your social media post, whatever, none of that is required. Where I would, where I think the area gets a lot grayer is around images and videos. And the things that purport to be human is where things get a lot grayer. So if you, there's an example of a Toronto organization that used AI images way back when the AI images were not great. And it was really clear that it was AI generated. Uh, they were doing so under super ethical premises. They were doing so because they worked with protected classes of individuals um, and they didn't want the, their their people that they served, women and children, did not want their faces to be in the images that they used for their appeals. Totally makes sense. I've worked with a number, number of organizations like that. And we've used uh, amalgamated stories, right? Uh, stories of multiple people and to be able to do that and use stock photos in the past in order to represent those stories, all with permission, all with sign off from everybody involved. Where we got now is the ability for AI to actually create a very photorealistic picture 
And that's where I think disclosure probably does make sense. So that to say this isn't a real person, just like with our uh, composite stories or amalgamated stories, we would say these names are different. These are names are, are not real because they're protected, that kind of thing. That's where I think we have to be, we have to start asking some different questions and be mindful of that. I think that's a really small disclosure, just like we've done before with stories. I don't think it's like a big flashy banner. If you are in a situation where, so for example, your nonprofit business model has a, a customer facing element. So I'm thinking like you have, you're an arts organization, you're selling tickets to Hamilton, you're a museum and you have a chatbot that maybe is run by AI. It, I think it probably makes sense and it's good practice to disclose that it's AI, if that's the case, if you're using it that way, rather than making someone think that it's a human. I think there, there are questions to be asked there. I don't want to be a should head and, and say everybody should do it this way. But to your original question, absolutely not. On a letter, on an email, we don't need to do a blockchain. Who, else, who made edits to this document? Glad you agree with me because for people that say, oh, you must disclose, I don't agree with them at all. It doesn't make sense. You're not going to tell them that you use Excel to run the analytics for your monthly KPIs on your on your email analytics. No, you're just going to use the tools available to you to make your life easier. Where I maybe dis disagree with that gray area as far as images, you're spot on. I have a women's, battered women's shelter. I can't use a picture of Jessica and her name's not Jessica, but I can't use a picture of Jessica because I want to protect her, her privacy. But I could create a very empathetic image that wants to specifically play into XYZ emotions, mood, tone, all by using generative AI and get a very lifelike image. Like you said, three months ago, they would have had six fingers, but now we don't have six fingers anymore. So I, I think that there is some strong gray area there, whether you use it or not. There's tools now where you can copy a voice and you, we're seeing so much iteration every day of what is possible in this realm. We're going to be finding more and more gray areas. That's why it's important to have an AI usage policy for your organization, knowing what your own ethical biases are, because you might not agree that it is okay to do that, but knowing that it's going to make your life uh, incredibly easier. Yeah, I think that all comes down to the values of the organization and, and how you interact in the space and how you build trust with your constituencies and stakeholders. So uh, that that has to be paramount. And so you might decide not to use images and videos. You may decide to disclose. You may decide not to disclose. Just be conscious of the choice, honestly. Go through the decision-making process. Don't just, don't, don't ignore these tensions. That's the bottom line. Most importantly, don't be scared. This is a tool that is going to revolutionize not just the nonprofit sector, but so many specific niches of business. We need to stay on top of it. You as an individual, just get your feet wet. Go to that AI petting zoo. I love that term. I'm, I'm going to start using that now. So I'm stealing it. Thanks. Thanks about that, Jerry. This was fabulous. So I'm going to have you come back in six months so we can do a part two, because I know the conversation that we have in six months is going to be so different than we have today, because we'll have seen more and more of those third-party vendors starting to incorporate it. We're going to see more and more startups creating these one-off products that it's whether a Google Chrome extension that is going to make your life so much easier. I use one yeah. and I'll be using it for this podcast episode on YouTube. I can click a button and it automatically will sit there, open up ChatGPT and transcribe the entire thing like that.
it's incredible. It's this is a wonderful world. But Shireen, this has been incredible. Thank you for joining us today. Is there anything that you want to leave our guests with? Uh, final parting thoughts. I think just like you said, don't be scared. I know that you change is hard for all of us, and it's really hard to manage. But I want all of you listening to to know that there is great opportunity here as you dip your toes into the water or jump into the pool. But ultimately, remember not to buy into the binary. There is a false dilemma that's being discussed out there around. It's either take it or leave it. And you could take it in some areas of your life and leave it in others. You could take it in some areas of your organization, leave it in others. Just retain the choice and make sure that everything you do as an organization comes back to the human trust that you are building inside your organization and outside your organization. If you have questions, I'd love to talk with with you about it, but it'd be a resource point you in the direction. But I just want to thank all of your listeners for the work that they're doing every day. I know it can seem hard and definitely right now can seem overwhelming, but there are folks that are out there to help, not just Josh, not just me. All of us are in the sector are more than willing to help each other out. And that's what I love about our nonprofit sector. And Shireen, where can our guests reach out to you and find out more information if they want to have those conversations? I think I'm the only Shireen Koshi on LinkedIn that looks like me. So feel free to to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to, to chat. That's the best place. Perfect. I've got my own website, obviously the nonprofit operating system website as well and the iWave website. Perfect. We sure leave those in the links below. But Shireen, this is wonderful. I'm Josh Hirsch with Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. It's time for another edition of Coach's Corner. This is where we put our impact coaches to the test. We ask the questions that you send us to give them. They've got five minutes to answer it. These questions are great, so thank you for sending them in. If you haven't sent one, please, by all means, send us a question. doesn't matter what it is. Our address is impactcoaches at impactability.net. Today's question is, what are the best approaches to building a sustainable volunteer program? Jacob. You have five minutes to answer the question, and your five minutes begins right now. All right. Excited to be back on another Coach's Corner. My name is Jacob Wingy, Director of Marketing and Communications here at Sukup Strategic Solutions. Going to be talking about an exciting topic, building a sustainable volunteer program. I've worked with quite a few, and every nonprofit, every volunteer program is different. Looking at your needs and what you have to be successful in accomplishing your mission through volunteers, something that I think every nonprofit is is looking at. One thing that I think is always important, whether you are reinvigorating a volunteer program, taking a look at something that's been very well established, perhaps for decades, or even starting from scratch, is really focusing on building the program with the end in mind, thinking about where you want the program to be once you've gone through a lot of the steps of building it regardless where you're at as an organization, defining your goals, thinking about what that impact is eventually going to look like. Is the volunteer program's biggest goal and objective to offload work from staff? Is it to build and cultivate support within the organization and and donors? Is it to engage with a younger audience? Is it to engage with an older audience? All those types of things coming together, depending on what the needs are. And then ultimately aligning those needs and goals with the expectations and interests from the rest of your team. So whether it's just within your development department and and having some meetings and discussions on it, but also 
reaching out to those other branches of the nonprofit that's going to be utilizing volunteers. I was at a parks department that had dozens and dozens of different capacities and specialities and and needs for volunteers. And you want to make sure that you're just on the same page with everybody as far as what they're expecting, not just in what volunteers are going to be doing and things like that, but overall, how you're going to recruit strategically, finding the right people for the right task. A lot of times I've seen volunteer programs start out and they get in all this interest and it's a popular organization, or you've had a relationship with a college or a university for a number of years that has supplied a lot of your volunteers, but making sure that you're just really tailoring things because that's going to be a better result for the organization and it's going to be a better experience for that volunteer. And who knows, you might build future donors, future employees, supporters, things like that. And also utilizing various channels for recruitment too. Again, you might have some great partnerships, but looking at your events and what type of events you can bring in volunteers, whether it's your big gala every year, some organizations have young professional targeted events, social media, and then just word of mouth, making sure that everybody in the organization, whether they're directly responsible for recruiting and bringing on volunteers or not, is using the same lingo. You want to make sure that everything, just like your fundraising language and how everybody is talking about fundraising in the organization, everybody's doing the same thing with volunteers, whether it's your board members, full-time staff, other volunteers. And from that, then defining kind of your target audience, right? Do you need certain professionals in volunteer programs? Are there certain skill sets that not anyone's going to come to that you need for certain, certain roles within the organization? Are some volunteer jobs or responsibilities better for students? Are some better for seniors? Are some better for recent college graduates or college students as opposed to others? And looking at that, I worked with a nonprofit a little while back that was a, a senior center. And so they really wanted to bring in older adults, not quite the age of the seniors that they were having at the center, what would reflect adult children. And so looking at that example and seeing how they recruited for that specific demographic, while also having opportunities for other people to be involved was really important. And then ultimately, making sure that you're training and empowering your volunteers. I can't stress enough about having resources and a powerful orientation program, one-time volunteers, short-term volunteers or seasonal volunteers, and the volunteers that you want to have long-term with the organization, and then ultimately creating components and aspects to plan the program and evaluate it every year really makes it essential. What do you want them to take away from it? And then adapting that moving forward. If you're at the beginning stage of building a volunteer program, or again, working with a program that's been around for decades and decades, maybe you're new in that role of reinvigorating it. Our team here at Sukup Strategic Solutions has worked with dozens of volunteer programs and in organizations and creating a lot of these processes and trainings, and we would love to work with your nonprofit. Jacob, we really appreciate you joining us on Coach's Corner today and sharing your knowledge and expertise on what are the best approaches to building sustainable volunteer program. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter at impactability.live. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Josh Hirsch. Thanks for listening and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.